just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. Hey there, Adam. How's it going today? Hey, Conrad. Going great. We are past Thanksgiving. It's in the rearview mirror. So we are officially at the grind of closing out Q4 and preparing for 2024. So excited to be here for another conversation. We do have a good one today. It's a topic that we've touched on briefly, but never really gotten into depth with it. So I think this is one that's going to be pretty interesting. But before I pass the mic over to Scott, I do need to share a quick update on the sports side of things. And I've got two good updates, but I also have a small piece that's kept a little fire in my belly. So I'm hoping you guys might be able to talk me off the ledge a little bit. First one, I mentioned the state championship for the local high school. They won undefeated, went to the finals. They are the best uh, team in North Carolina ranked 22 nationally, uh, undefeated season. So that was pretty amazing. And then the, the second one that also very positive, but a slight fire in my belly as a result of this one. And this one is my team. So we went to our a club soccer tournament last weekend and we did fantastic. So this is the team that I've been trying to rebuild, trying to figure out, is this going to be a great team? Is it not? Really doubling down on it. So we want, we had four games. We scored 35 goals in four games. So you can do the math to figure out what that is. But in soccer, that's not something that you do very typically. However, we did not take away the championship. And the reason being is that in the last game, we let in one goal. Five minutes left, let in one goal. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking this whole tournament, goal differential. So we're scoring so many goals. I don't really need to worry about it apparently the one tiebreaker or the very first tiebreaker because we didn't get to play this other team head to head. So the first tiebreaker was goals against. So they had the final game of the tournament and they got to see that we had one goal against us and they just played a whole bunch of defense, didn't let a goal in. So we took uh, second place, even though we scored 35 goals with one goal against us. So differential 34 goals compared to their 21 goals. So it's it's a painful lesson. I think from a coach's perspective, what I need to do is pay attention to the fine print. So good news is I've got another tournament coming up this weekend. And safe to say, I have looked at the tiebreaker rules and will not make that same mistake. <laughs> I feel like your lesson there, Adam, is that you haven't learned from Bill Belichick, my idol, right? Who would have definitely known that rule and would have definitely put every guy back there on defense or girl back there on defense to make sure that wouldn't happen. So yeah, I, I feel bad for you but not that bad for you, to be honest, because you should have known the rules. So you get like a seven right. out of 10 sympathy score from my <laughs> perspective. I don't know if that's too you, you harsh. You got to park the bus, as they say, right? You yeah. got to park right. the bus. Yeah, yeah. So lesson learned. But I don't know, Scott, what's your perspective? Is do you, Are you higher or lower than me on seven out of 10 on the empathy score for poor? I, I'm lower, Conrad. So I'm surprised you went with seven. And, and quite honestly, I'm surprised with that from Adam, because Adam likes to at least know Often the, a details. He case. doesn't like to follow them, but he does like to at least know that. True, very true. You know, yeah. with someone coming from a club soccer world, and Adam, you and I have talked about this. My son is deep, right? It's interesting. And also clean sheets, right? Clean sheets gets you extra points in some tournaments too. So there, there's a whole, I don't know, there's a, there's a whole system you, you've got to pay attention to. And we've been on the we've been on the good side of that, and we've been on the bad side of that too. So I, n- never scoring 35 goals, but that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. First a tough one. The first joke I was going to make, Adam, is that your soccer team scored more points than the Patriots over the past four games as well, <laughs> speaking on that that really quickly. But maybe, Scott, we can go your way really quick, a quick update on your side, and then we'll get over to Ellis here with Lassie. 
Yeah, so fresh off Thanksgiving weekend, it was a great one. We had Ange's uh, father and her stepmom in town, and we don't get to see them very often out of California. We had to fit something in every 10-minute block. It needed to be full of things to do with them and the kids. I'm uh, looking forward to some time off here as I get back to work. Yeah, and then I'm excited for today's conversation. I think we've this is a next big step, and I don't know that anyone's conquered it yet. Certainly no one's conquered it yet, but we keep talking about scale and what can work and what can't. But I can tell you, Ellis, and we talked about this a little bit in the opening, right? I've, I've watched his content. I'm on his emails. Really enjoyed it. And and I think he's in, in the team are onto something. So I'm eager to have the conversation today and uh, get into a little detail. Awesome. Well, Ellis, welcome to the show. We appreciate your time and you hopping on with us and recording. If you don't mind, we, we need two things from you. One would be a bit, bit, bit brief background about you, lastly, what you're working on. And then also, if you don't mind, a song that best describes you as well. So we can get you to know you a little bit better. Yeah, perfect. Ellis Connolly, as you mentioned, I'm a chief revenue and commercial leader here at Lassie. We are a instant gratification reward and loyalty platform that plays mainly in the hotel, vacation rental, and travel verticals. We're currently sitting at just under 5,000 properties across all of our products, fully implemented. And where we believe that a points-based loyalty earn and burn strategy can work in specific unit economic scenarios like big brands where there's frequency and breadth of geo. For most hotel operators that don't have a flag or most vacation rental operators that don't have a massive swath of properties, instant gratification and the way people want to be rewarded has shifted over the last few years. And we think we've, you know, hit a few, we've hit a few niches that make a lot of sense for how we're deploying loyalty. So that that's the lassie in a nutshell. Awesome. Um, a song that best describes me, and I don't know if the lyrics are like attuned to exactly who I am as a person, but I can tell you this. Growing up on the East Coast, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and it was a huge kind of punk ska scene that I grew up in. I played in a band. We toured quite a bit, a, a ska band. It was called Odd Man Out. And Operation Ivy was like my favorite band of all time. And there's a song on there called Message to You, Rudy. I think most of you should know it. If you don't, I would recommend checking it out. And that was like my jam forever. And I still jam to it. I make my kids listen to it. So it it might not like lyrically represent me to a T, but just like holistically of what I like to reminisce on, it, it pegs me like right on. Oh, that's a fantastic addition. That is one that I have not heard. And I'd like to think of myself as a ska fan, but I'll take a listen to that one. Well, I'll do like a ska playlist. Yeah, yeah. that'd be fun. I had yeah. an era where I liked that kind of stuff. So, well, I it's required for you guys in Boston, right? You guys right. got to follow the Bostones, right? I had one of my wildest times ever. So back working in the airlines, one of the perks was we could fly for free on standby. And a group of us went up to the hometown throwdown. I don't even remember what year it was. So it was <laughs> Mighty Boston's, right? And everyone was there with them. We, I, we had a good friend that had their own ska band. And we all went up there and it was epic. And that group was just wild, man. I, I, Adam and, and, and Conrad, I thought it was like a requirement. Don't you guys have to like listen to the Boston's every morning? Boston's and Dropkick Murphy's are an yeah, 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 yeah. Dropkick Murphy's was where I was going to go with it. All right, all right. Quintessential. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, can you even start a St. Patrick's Day without dropping? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. I thought you were going to go else in the direction of thrice or Thursday or something that's like a little bit more metal, but that's not the direction you went in. I also love the '99 Balloons remake. That's a great one yeah, if you listen to like that, is, that, that just drives you up. I don't know if you ever played the Tony Hawk Pro Skater game, but that was like, I played that game and they're all the songs on there, like ska skating songs are all like amazing. And you just get so hyped sitting there playing on a PlayStation or whatever. hundred percent. Yes. I played that at nauseum. And, and, and I, actually, when I first started playing Nintendo, it was like the old school one where you had to like, and yeah, like, of course, get it yeah. to work sometimes. Yeah. I like the audio effect on that too. So everyone knows what you mean, even though they're just y'all know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. I don't know how in the world to transition Nintendo cartridge dust into Lassie. So I'm not even going to try. We're just going to do a hard yeah. transition here, Ellis. But what's you mentioned that you work with other verticals? Maybe we'll start there. Music has different verticals. Your industry has different verticals. There we go. That's the best bridge that I can try to build there. You, you, I'm assuming you do a lot of hotel resorts, but the vacation rental world is a lot different. So what's like your version or your vision for the vacation rental loyalty game where it's very fragmented? We've got lots of different software, five different property managers. Most likely you might are going to get five different tech stacks, et cetera. How does our industry, the vacational industry, have loyalty like hotels where, like you said, they have all these benefits of they can advertise in many places and, and that kind of thing as well? Yeah. And I think the beauty of Lassie's approach to that is we try to take a lot of the challenges of how you operationalize giving experiences to guests, right? Because in a vacation rental environment, yes, the place that you stay matters. The home, the amenities, that matters, right? Like we all know that. <clears throat> but when I I grew up going to the Outer Banks, I was uh, lived in a DC area. Every summer we'd go to the Outer Banks and we'd rent a house from the same group in Duck and Kill Devil Hills and kind of those areas. But what I remember most about going down there with my family wasn't necessarily the home. I do remember the hot tub and I do remember the pool table and the bunk beds and all those things that we did as a big family traveling. What I remember were the experiences, right? I remember going and playing putt-putt. I remember like chasing my dad in a go-kart, right? I remember going out and going, and going fishing with my dad and my brothers, getting up at six in the morning and throwing up at 11 o'clock. Like those are the things I remember. And I'm going to bridge this to Lassie, try. But that's what Lassie at the core of how we deploy loyalty is, right? So we've created a merchant network and a tour operator network where rental groups can come in and say, okay, you're in North Carolina. Lassie already has existing relationships with these 30, 40 different merchant partners. Let's create a strategic strategy that's going to get people into our home and then help them create a great experience as they're staying here for four, six, 10 days, whatever it may be. And we do that really well in the United States with a lot of big key markets, but we think that's what it's about. It's about how do you create more experiences and give people things that they're going to remember to come back. And the offshoot of that is affinity. And I use the mm -hmm. word loyalty pretty lightly because let's be honest, guys, like loyalty could mean one thing to this person and something different to this person. And when I think about loyalty and vacation rental and I compare it to hotel, I've been in the hotel tech space almost 15, 16 years, right? So I've seen a lot of things. I've been doing a lot of things here. Where vacation rental is, in my opinion, right? And I'm not a pundit that kind of knows all the in and outs. I know a lot. I know a lot to be dangerous, right? But it's fragmented. 
It's it there. There's challenges in that kind of connectivity, the spaghetti framework of tech that lives uh, across our ecosystem. But the reality is, there's a ton of opportunities in there. Like most vacation rental loyalty strategies are: how do I bang my newsletter list hard enough to get people to book over my need dates? Like that's the loyalty strategy for a lot of folks that we talk to. And the reality is, I can help with that with Lassie, right? If a newsletter is your loyalty strategy, how do we get you more enrollments by incentivizing people with merchant offers? That's number one. Increase your database. You're good. How do we get people to open your emails more? Incorporate reward content from the Lassie merchant network that you can pull directly into your newsletter strategy, right? And then how do you incentivize people to drive behaviors? How do you append experiences into specific stays? Right. Mm -hmm. So you're staying over the summer in a specific destination. How do you append a reward to that versus something in the winter? So there's a lot of different things that we look at. I don't even know yeah. what your question was at this point, but no, I, a... <laughs> I, think, I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, we're getting somewhere. Adam, I was going to go your direction because I feel like we've heard this before. This idea of, yes, the experience is important. You go and stay yeah. and the home is just really this like conduit for getting to a destination as Alice was highlighting well there. I love the mini golfing, the fishing, all those kind of things as well. But Adam, a lot of people try to do this and they just try to let me make more money. They don't think of it as how can I provide more value? And if I'm understanding your kind of frame here, Alice, that seems to be more of the conversation that you're having. So what's your take on that, Adam? Is that the right approach to have? Yeah, and I think that there are, are going to be a number of layers to this discussion. Some we'll get to today, some will just be a part of future discussions. But I think there's a number of, of things, and I'm happy to hear LS talk about affinity and using loyalty loosely, because I think that's an important thing. We talk, we all talk about this concept of loyalty, but then how do we define it, right? Is it is it a loyalty program where we're truly bringing these people that we have put a value on back or is it just a return, a returning guest where we're just encouraging someone to then go back to our website? Or to Ellis's point, is it where we're driving behavior, uh, giving them incentives to do the things that we are asking them to do? Now, all of those things could be connected because you might be driving a behavior to get a returning guest that will then take the next step to become a loyalty customer. But I don't think the infrastructure, to Ellis's point, has been built out very well. I think that we're taking a very surface level, as an industry, we're taking a very surface level approach to this. And really, we've talked about this a number of times, a couple of times with Stowe when he was on the show. We talked about the concept of loyalty and, and the way that hotels look at it. And they really value that guest list, whereas the vacation rental space has done a very poor job of building a guest list, valuing a guest list, and then mining that guest list to actually find the people that can be loyal to you. So I think there's a huge opportunity that in, when Ellis talks about driving the right behavior to build a database, I think that is 100% the first step. We've got to get the list so that we can figure out how do we cultivate the list and encourage these people to then take a further step with us. But to answer your question, Conrad, I'm right in line, and I think it goes back to the other conversations that we had, that the home is the tool to get them on vacation. The experience is that entire vacation. Now, what do we do with them when they're on vacation? And I think part of this is guest experience. And then part of this is revenue generation. I do think that there are opportunities for revenue. And that's not to say, to your point, Conrad, that these, these tools and these concepts and these processes and strategies should be implemented just for revenue. I think the underlying piece, as we've talked about for months, should be that hospitality. The unreasonable hospitality should be the core of why we're doing it. But as we do it, we should be improving that guest experience. And then with that is going to come the opportunity to have additional revenue streams. And this goes back to the episode where we talked to Alex Danner and we talked about the evolution of the vacation rental space. 
the additional revenue streams will come when we provide service. We're selling from service. We're not just driving revenue for the sake of driving revenue. We're creating great experiences. And then as a result of creating great experiences, we should be able to take some revenue from that. Now, I'm interested to hear uh, Ellis's perspective of how do they think through building that. My guess is you find the right partners, you get the right discounts, everybody involved starts to get the right uh, cut of, of some of that revenue. But at the end is really driving that guest experience. Now, Ellis, when you think through this, and, and I'm like I said, I'm happy to hear you think about affinity and experience, not just the loyalty concept, but how does Lassie differentiate itself from some of these experience companies where they're truly, their goal is to create experience packages or drive people to go to specific experiences? How is Lassie thinking about this loyalty affinity versus experience? I think we also align ourselves to to leveraging data to bring people back based on what they've done in the past. So that that's the the secret sauce of the reward or the experience ecosystem that we have, which is you know our platform. And I'm not going to go too far down the AI path, but we've been talking about AI here at Lassie since 2016, so it, it's not a new term for us. We look at having served over a billion dollars worth of reservations since our inception. We've got a massive swath of data that we look at. And you got to remember, every reservation that we deploy has a reward or an experience selected against it. So we've got this data that says, look, folks that are booking from these zip codes that come to these markets have a, a propensity to select these types of experiences, right? So what, what can you do with that data? A ton of things. What can a larger organization that has the wherewithal and the service capabilities to create experiences do with that data? They can use it to hedge and steer what they want to build and create in order to do a number of different things, right? So the number one thing that we see from an experience perspective that drives revenue is what we call or what other folks call velvet rope concepts, right? So velvet rope concept means it's taken from Amex, right? Think about it. Amex creates an event at a sports venue, right? You could go to the Dodgers event. You're going to get all this special access. You're going to get the Dodger dog. I'm in the LA area. You're going to get the Dodger dog. You're going to get the Modelo. You're going to get your whole thing, right? You're going to get a hat, a t-shirt, a Kershaw, a uh, bobblehead, right? That's your thing. It looks amazing, but you're like, oh shit, I still got to pay $1,600 to go do this? But you have access to go do that where, you know, the, the swath of folks that may want to have that experience don't have the access. And I know I'm go I'm over indexing on it, but for a vacation rental operator, Adam, like you were saying, how do you partner with local operators and local sightseeing companies or surf tour companies or bike rental companies or whatever it may be and create a package through partnership that's going to drive access to something that not anybody else is doing? But here's the problem, right? I just said that, and a lot of folks will gloss over because they're like, who in the hell has the time to go and do any of that? And the beauty of Lassie is that we've already done 85% of all that relationship building. So you can pick and choose and put stuff together to create an experience. Now, working through partnerships to drive revenue outside of stays is another piece that we look at, right? Because how do you stay in front of customers? I don't, I don't know. I, I might be lucky. We vacation two, three times a year, right? Like whole family go on week, two week stays, mostly at skiing and, and beach, right? I'm in California. That's our world. So what do you do for me 
the other 50 weeks of the year, right? How do you stay relevant? How do you stay in front of me? Because yeah, an email, I'm going to read them. I'm in the business. I like reading them. That's just things that I do. But is the average consumer who's not tied directly to our industry, like really paying attention? Some aren't. But what are the things that we could do within there, right? There's a lot of strategies we could go down here, Adam, and I, I don't know how far we want to go. But our merchant network also gives you the capability to offer things outside of stays just for a surprise and delight strategy. Somebody's kid has a birthday and I'm going super deep here, but maybe you deploy a, a $25 ticket network credit because they like the New England Patriots. To go. So there's all different types of things. You could go super deep into the weeds in it, but the reality is operationalizing stuff like that can be challenging. And with Lassie, we try to take that first level of where do I even start and give you over a thousand merchants and say, okay, this is something I can see. These are tangible. I can pull these things together that are going to resonate with my brand, with my types of travelers, and we can start from there. You, you made a comment in there, Ellis, about who has time for this. So I wanted to go Scott's direction because I feel like he's always our operations expert here on the yeah. show. So Scott, I guess I'm curious your perspective on that. What's the balance that we have to have with the unreasonable hospitality approach of I need to focus on my core? I feel like that would be the argument against Lassie. I don't mean this in a negative way, Ellis, but just like yeah. why add this on when I already need to work on my cleaners? I need to work on the property. I need to keep that in good shape. There's already a million things I have to do over here. Adding this in, Scott naturally is going to be a little bit more operational load. Ellis makes good points that they've done a ton of work to make it easier on you, but there is still a layer of friction there. How do we evaluate that? How do we know if the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak? I guess I'm curious your perspective, Scott, on that. Yeah, I am of the mindset that this is one, if you build it, they will come, right? I'm not as, as so interested in the revenue up front. I really like the concept of giving them something that ties that guest to you year round, right? The, the little drip, the surprise. I like this surprise and delight thing. And, and I think that's what's missing, Conrad. I would look at this as something that's required, it, especially in the space that we want to play in, right? The big houses having a, a very specific footprint. For me, I think it's part of doing business. I, I think you have to have it. And, and we all know people that are in the chamber and they're out trying to talk with everyone, but my experience and our experience, and Adam can attest to this from a call center perspective, the other side of it is if you have a little what to do on your website, people still come back to you and say, I went there because of you, right? You referred me to them, right? And it was a bad experience. So I do like this, the curated concept. And I like, Ellis mentioned driving behaviors in, and that's something that we all want to do. We want, we want what we want to match what the agents want to match what the guests want, right? If we're all looking for the same behavior out of each other. I think that's the win. And then Conrad and I saw you shaking your head on this. So I'm going to push it back to you, the segment, right? When we see this come together, right? This isn't just mass email. My opportunity or what I see as the opportunity, Conrad, is now how do you do segmenting stuff? How do you take people and say, okay, container A, B, C, D. And can we get to a place where we're doing that based on Conrad likes golf, Conrad likes kayaking, that type of thing. And I think the truth is, Scott, very few people ever get to that level of anything because to tie in Ellis again, the data isn't there. So when we get a list from a client frequently on the guest marketing side of things, Ellis, you were mentioning like earlier, we're just hammering out newsletter after newsletter. We're sometimes the one that has to hit the stop pedal with certain clients. Like, hey, maybe we don't need to send every single week because our open rates are declining and we're actually not taking this list and serving it. We're actually burning it. We're upsetting people. So Scott's point is valid, which is that if we can make the message more relevant, 
perhaps it's not going to necessarily massively increase our results uh, in terms of like many more bookings are going to come from each campaign, but it's certainly better to get a more relevant email than a more irrelevant email from a property manager, even if you're not planning on going back to the Outer Banks anytime soon, because you're now you're based in California instead of DC. If you were still on the list of a property manager who was sending you relevant stuff, who knows, maybe they might get you one day. Oh, and then I thought of company XYZ when I went to go do my Outer Banks trip. So I think the trouble is, Scott, that the data doesn't come into the systems that we work in. So if we use MailChimp or if we use Constant Contact or if we use whatever email system we use, I think there's parity at this point between a lot of them, to be completely honest with you. Most people have a name, an email. If I'm lucky, I might get like a stay date. I might get some of that metadata, right? It's not there. So I, I can't do the segmentation, Scott, in many cases because there's no the fields don't exist, I'm guessing. So if back to Ellis's point there a few minutes too, if I could have a sign up and the sign up indicated that someone was interested in topic A, B, and C or activity A, B, and C, that helps me a lot because I can at least start to orient myself a little bit better. So I guess that's my Imagine favorite. if there was a platform that could do that. I know it'd be interesting. It would be amazing. Adam, we skipped over you. I guess I'm curious your perspective on that, right? How do we balance the same kind of same question I had, Scott, to be honest with you? How do we balance doing the basics well and not making taking our eye off the ball, so to speak, with adding in a platform like Glassy and making sure that the guest is engaging with it, cares about it, that sort of thing? What's the right balance there in your mind? It's not easy. And I actually did this. So back in 2011-ish, I created, and I think it's still in existence, I created what we called Club Seaside. I was working for Seaside Vacations out here on the Outer Banks. And I went around to local providers and I created deals with them so that we could offer freebies to guests, first come, first serve. You, you get a free surf lesson and you could sign up for a discount, that type of thing. But it was a tremendous amount of legwork. And well, not only do you have to set up the relationships, but then you have to manage those relationships. And then you've got to manage the guests who have questions. And to Scott's point, when there is an issue, then they're coming back to you with an issue because you're the one that recommended they go there. So there's a lot of layers to this when you start to think about doing it on your own. And back in the day, we didn't have an option. This was That was the only way to do it because we didn't have platforms like Lassie who had started to think through this. So I am in Scott's camp, not surprisingly, that's why we've got Alice here, but I'm in Scott's camp that this is a requirement going forward. I, I think that there's got to be some sort of affinity, loyalty, repeat guest type of platform, type of process that the industry needs to adopt very quickly. Hotels have been doing this for a long time. We've got to figure out how do we start to value the guest? But I think there's a lot of layers to that. And I think Conrad, you just nailed one is that we haven't taken the data collection seriously as an industry. We just have not asked the right questions. Now, maybe to some degree on the guest side, they don't want to answer some of those questions because we haven't created that affinity where they're willing to share some of that information. But if you factor in what Lassie can do and you start to incentivize them answering those questions, now you start to get the right information where you start to have some rich data that you can go back and segment and start to do some things with this. Now, the exciting part for us, Scott and I, is that on the TAN side, we actually have this, right? We've got 35 years of traveling history of guests that have traveled and gone out and done this. Same time, we haven't done a great job of this. So it's not as if we know all of the segments. We really have their travel history more so than anything. But Ellis, how do you guys think about it? I'm, I'm interested in the mechanics on the Lassie side of things. How do you guys think about it trying to get people down that funnel of incentivizing an action to getting them to be a repeat guest, to getting them however we want to qualify what loyalty is? How do we get them to be that loyal guest? And then as they walk down that path, what is the benefit for them as that guest? Are they getting more incentives, bigger discounts? How do you guys think through that? Yeah, so it recently... And let's say over the last 24 months, you, you you couldn't go 30 minutes without seeing something about first-party data collection strategies based on the changes in Google, right? And I was one of those people that was producing content around that at nauseum as well. In the hotel side of the world, 
our our go-to comment was complimentary internet and free bottles of water will not get it done anymore, right? Travelers' expectations have changed. Now, was Marriott's strategy to give complimentary internet to enroll loyalty members brilliant at the time? God, yes, which is why they have over 140 million members in their program and over 65% of every single Marriott booking comes from a member. Staggering, right? Now, yeah, that's we amazing. Yeah, we all don't have those types of resources in order to support that. But you look at companies like, maybe I won't say any names, but you look at companies who are doing those email enrollment strategies within internet access, and you guys all know who I'm sure who I'm talking about there. You look at comparing that with an incentivized profile completion strategy, right? Because it's very easy for me to give you my email and that's it, right? But for us, when we're talking about how do we create layers of segmentation to better deploy email marketing strategies, like just having an email address isn't going to be great, right? Within Lassie, the folks who are leveraging our full-blown loyalty product have on average about 70% profile completion rates because we have a profile completion strategy that's deployed within our platform, which is very gamified when you get into the portal that says complete your profile and get X, right? And X could be a magazine subscription, could be a, a, a future discount to an upcoming stay, whatever you want to deploy within that, we help support that. So that's important. We also have strategies where if you have an existing database, we could go back and triage back to get folks to complete more profile data, right? Zip code in most strategies, most likely the most important profile field that you want to go and get, right? How far away are you from my closest home? What is the demographic wealth component of that area, right? There's a lot of different things that are tied to zip code. Now, that's getting people in. So you get somebody in, you get their profile data. Now you have an opportunity to market to them. The magic moment for loyalty isn't about like, how great does the portal look? How native is the experience as I'm making my purchase? It is really about what happened from that operator. It was one moment in time. That's the craziest thing about loyalty is that like a lot of the things that we think about, the underpinnings of it, right? Like the bottom of the iceberg, as what we were mentioning before, 17 years of working hard to see an overnight success. Like the underpinning of loyalty is like this, this hard, how do we get data? How do we create an experience that's going to align to our brand? But the reality is it could be and this is the hard part to operationalize, and I'm sorry, gentlemen, especially within a fragmented ecosystem of multiple homes across multiple states, but it's it could be that person that knocks on the door and just says hello. And, and, and it sounds so like crazy, but those are the things sometimes that actually drive true loyalty. Can you operationalize that? God, no. It's hard. But can you create a digital experience that's going to put you as an operator in the best position to have the data that's going to let you understand what you might be able to go and do that? Yes, you can.
How much money do you want to invest? How many resources do you want to invest? Those are all things that are going to be dependent, like across who, whatever organization you're working with. But there are pretty easy ways to stay in front of folks with extremely relevant content and reward and incentivize them to do things that you want. Mainly book with you again. Now, OTA conquesting, I've coined that by the way, you guys can steal it from me if you want. OTA conquesting. Have you guys heard of like lease conquesting in the automobile industry? So lease conquesting would be like, I, I, I like if I'm leasing a BMW, Everybody knows that all the OEMs already know that I'm leasing the, a BMW because they all have access to that data. When I'm about six months from my lease, and they would call this a lease up strategy, when I'm about six months out from my lease, I will start to get Mercedes, Lexus, Tesla lease offers in the mail, in my email, and now on my phone. Robo dials are killing me lately. So if you think about an acquisition, and, and I know there's this contention, like especially in vacation rentals, it's, it's funny to see because in hotel, we went through this like 10, 15 years ago, but now it's oh, OTA bad, direct good. Like it's this whole thing. It's great to see because it's exactly right. But channel management strategies, you, if you have very little to no marketing dollars, a cost of good strategy where you're commission only on, on a booking to give you visibility to a big exposed network it's fantastic. Pay the 18, 20%, whatever. Who, yes, that's a cost to do a business. What do you do with that guest now? I swear if you let that guest leave your home without enrolling them into some program so you can remarket to them to get them to book direct, you are missing the entire boat of this whole movement of what you need to do, right? Yes, OTAs are the devil, la, 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 la. Okay, whatever. But it's a necessary evil that you have to use. Be strategic and smart about how you do that. QR codes in all of your homes that enroll people into your program and give them an immediate benefit to a local merchant that they could use while they're staying and be like, you know what? Airbnb was fantastic, but awesome. Adam's home gave me this great merchant that I just went in and I showed him on the Lassie app and I clicked my tap to redeem. I got a complimentary coffee. Think about that. Uh, uh, Conrad, I, this takes me to where we ended or landed last week with your episode, right? And and it's around, you talked about email marketing, you talked a little bit about it here, <clears throat> but it's also the capture. So, so Conrad, I know you're a big touch day fan, right? But you said, hey, listen, that's about grabbing the email and then pushing it out. And we've talked about a couple of different apps and sharing it out with the guests that are coming and then pulling their email addresses. So Conrad, my perspective of this, and I'm curious on yours is this goes back to if you're putting high value on the email address, that's really the springboard to then say, okay, now we got the email address and we've got the Conrad level data of, hey, I'm just happy to have a few fields. Now, how do we take that, blow it out and, and make it really value? And, and it follows the premise of the book, not to plug the book, which is that there's this like basic level, which is like, to your point, Ellis, just try to capture it. There's so many people that don't even try. Like you, you're never going to get her phone number if you don't ask, right? That's never going to happen. So you've got to at least ask and then you have a chance. And maybe your chances aren't good if you're just asking and providing nothing in return. If you can provide something in return, you can only access my Wi-Fi if you give my email. That's more of a hook. It sounds like, Ellis, maybe you're saying that isn't the ideal strategy. If you can offer something even better, enter your email, enter, you'll get access to Wi-Fi and you get XYZ. This coffee, coffee, this additional thing, this thing. 
it seems like that's a more appealing option for sure on this side of the coin. Just like, I want the emails in a certain way, to be honest with you, Ellis, I don't really care too much how I get them as long as they're legitimate, real emails. And the guest cares about the fact that they're staying with them because then I can market a lot more effectively, a lot better. To your point, people don't even try. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. What is that email worth to you? It, that's a good how, how much yeah. would you, because we work with customers that tell us, I, I will pay you, Lassie, X dollars or cents for that email address or that download of my app, right? So reverse engineering back into understanding, like that's the first crux of a CRM strategy, right? It's I've got 10, let's easy math. I have 10,000 folks in my database. I hit them up twice a month. From those, I, I receive X amount of direct bookings. So right. looking at it over the swath of the database, each of these email addresses to me is worth X. Mm -hmm. so for me, in a customer acquisition cost strategy, I should feel very confident to go out and say, I am willing to give 50 cents, a quarter, whatever it is per email, because I know at the end, I'm going to derive this much revenue from my database. This afternoon, I'm talking with someone else who has a $10,000 average booking value. <laughs> so that's his average booking. He often has bookings that exceed $15,000, $20,000. And then he has some obviously less than that to balance it all out. But imagine what he's willing to pay per an email address, right? He's willing to pay a lot more. It's going to be something that's going to be a lot harder for him to actually do the math on exactly what yeah. it's going to be, because that number might come out to be five or $6 if that's his average conversion rate and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that you're right, Ellis. That's that's going to be dependent on every single individual property manager to figure out what that number is for them. But for, we'll call him Mr. H, who I'm talking to later today, was a $10,000 booking value. His number is vastly different than Mr. C, who I talked to on last Friday, who gets an average booking value of $500 and $600, right? He's renting condos for two nights. So that the numbers yeah. are going to be very different. But I think you're right, Ellis, which is that knowing the number and understanding, actually, it would be foolish for me not to give away more value to these people, whether it's an experience, a gift or something in exchange to get more emails because I'm actually putting today's money in the bank for future money down the road. So I think that's the valid discussion to have. And maybe Adam, I'll bring you back in, which is that this all ties into hospitality though. Yes, it makes us money and that's good. But the way we're going to make a lot more money is by taking care of the guest in a positive way and them having positive feelings. If they feel like, I've always disliked that about hotels, by the way, sorry not to do, go on a tangent here, but you get to the hotel and you spend, especially a nicer hotel. We talked about the Hyatt Place, Adam in Boston, which is 300, 400 bucks a night, a nice hotel. And they want to dig me for two bucks for a bottle of water. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> Could you just charge me 402? We're making paper yeah, yeah. It's so funny when you go to a higher end hotel and you have to pay for the Wi-Fi. That's not the case. That, yeah, it's not the case there. But I guess, Adam, what's your perspective on like that value conversation of the lead, the customer from the minimum of try to what Ellis is describing as give them actual real value? There's a lot you know, of levels that I think someone can go up during that process for sure. I think that Ellis's background in the hotel space is, is showing itself. And it's the same thing yeah. that Stowe told us, right? I, I think that as an industry, we have not valued the guest and we've done a disservice to ourselves because now we have to play catch up in order to, to a start to value the guest and build great guest experiences but b build these databases that we can actually leverage in order to incentivize and give the guest even better experiences so we've got to work hard in order to do this because Stowe mentioned this, right? It's it's the lifetime value of the guest. And we have not quantified what the lifetime value of our guests are. And when we do, then going back to your point, Conrad, it's very easy to justify why you should spend more money on the guests, especially if they've demonstrated that they're loyal. So if you go back and you look at who your repeat guests are, my gosh, we should be showering them with some sort of attention and gifts and helping them come back. Now it's hard to justify because 
the ROI is not as clear. It's hard for us to say, hey, until we do the math and say each one of our guests is worth X, it's hard for us to go back and justify because the ads on Google are very clear. If I spend X, I'm going to get X back. That is not That math is not as clear when you start to look at your repeat guests. But if we do the, the math and figure out what that lifetime value is, then I think we can very easily justify where our attention and our spend and our resources should go. I'm negotiating, unfortunately, with Ellis right now on pricing. So I'm shooting myself in the foot with what I'm saying. But I agree. <laughs> I agree with everything we're saying, right? I think this is about experience. I think that this is about the guest experience. It's about hospitality. At its core, what we're trying to do is bring guests in to our home so that they see value in the home. And then they have this great vacation experience while they're there. But they don't know anything about the home. They don't know anything about the area. They don't have any relationships with vendors. So it's our job to step in and give them that experience. Now, us as managers, going back to the beginning of this conversation, the list is long and the priorities are long and deep as to where we need to put our attention. So as an industry, we're never going to get to those great guest experiences. We're never going to get to a place where we value that guest and we start to build out these guest lists unless we change the way that we approach this. And I think Lassie is the tool that's giving us the ability to approach this in a different way. Without someone, a platform, a tool, a process, I don't know that this industry will get to the place where it needs to get to. So I think Lassie speeds this up. Now, going back to that Lassie platform, Ellis, what happens when someone is more loyal? So it is a repeat guest. Is it that you allocate more incentive to them or how do you guys think through that? Yeah, there's, it's dependent upon the strategy of the operator, but we definitely have, we definitely have some baseline strategies that we recommend to deploy within the platform. Repeat bookings are the, I don't want to say the holy grail, but repeat bookings are the number one looked at output from a loyalty program, right? It's okay. I've got you, you've made a reservation. You've, I guess he didn't want to hear about that. You you, You booked the home. Now you've left. So how do I get you back? And I think the way that Lassie thinks or looks about that is really based at rewarding on a transactional level and like very much in the moment. So Conrad, if we're both booking under the same portfolio of homes, but, and you were saying this earlier, if if your booking is a condo for three nights and it's a thousand dollar reservation versus me going with my family for 10 days to a six room home on the beach where my reservation may be 18 grand, like the value of content that I'm going to have access to is going to be very different than the value of content that you have access to. And we call that slope model loyalty versus like a rigid tier loyalty. And slope model means we're going to reward you based on the action and the transaction that you're currently doing today, give it to you immediately. So that drives infinity in a behavior. I think there's a lot of carrots that you have the opportunity to dangle within loyalty strategies, whether it's, you're mentioning lifetime value, but whether it's total spend, total nights, total reservations, I think there's a lot of different things that you could do to incentivize more bookings. I think there's a lot of different things that you could do to incentivize and lengthen stays, if that's a, a goal or a strategic initiative that you're looking to do. But again, it it really sits at, there's not a, 
a, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, there's not a one size fits all loyalty strategy, right? Yeah. And because, yeah, to your point, every, even two managers in the same market, Alice too, could have very different approaches to it. One could be the value manager and here's what we provide. And then one could be the high touch manager and they could be managing the same home in very different ways. And sometimes exactly. I was doing a recording yesterday and they were talking about a property manager was saying that he didn't want to be the person's first property manager because they have these very high expectations and they expect, you know, a million things. They expect the home to always be perfect and never have any issues and they make a million dollars and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then the second yeah. property manager gets the, okay, I saw the pros, I saw the cons. Here's what I'm, you know, then they come in with more reasonable expectations the second time around, because that's the one, you know, a one major difference, I think, too, between the spaces, right? The hotel can do things that just don't make sense for the vacational operator, the short stays, the, the on-site housekeeping, the fact that the people interact with them. There's so many differences. So that loyalty conversation has to be different, right? One one is in Spanish and one's in English, right? These are not really the same things, just relative to the actual value that the guest gets on the other side. And to your point, I booked a stay for myself and a colleague of mine going to a conference next week in Nashville. And that booking mm -hmm. has no correlation at all in terms of length of stay, the, way, the reason that we're using the property, et cetera, to the booking that I made three weeks ago. I made it much before that. But but anyways, a stay I had three weeks ago for my family in Aruba for five nights, six nights. That was a totally different use case. So the same credit card paid for both reservations, but the and the same person, I guess, is going to be in both places. But the motivation behind them is completely different. And yeah, a lot of people, I think, don't dig in further and figure out why that's happening. It's actually why I think urban, what we might call short-term rentals, LSW, differentiate a little bit between a vacation rental property, which is like your Outer Banks beach house, and a short-term yep. rental, which might be an apartment in, in Washington, D.C. They both might call themselves the same thing, but they're really very different. Like a lot of travel... In that context is like more, I'm going to a conference, I'm visiting for this thing. And there's no like loyalty to be had there in many cases. If I need to come back, the chance of me being in the same configuration as far as like group size and the dates I need and stuff is so slim. Whereas the Outer Banks piece is like, I'm going, we go June 7th through the 15th every single year to the Outer Banks. Then it's just a question of, does the home fit my fit my needs, fit my criteria? We lost a yeah, few folks, Ellis, but we are at time. So I might have to put a bow on this one. And I don't know if you have any departing thoughts before we end for today, but. No, just to comment on your your mention there of city versus and beach in that scenario. It, right. What's interesting is we work with folks like Air Riva. We power the program that they've branded the friend zone, which is very cool and hip and like city. And then we also power Wyndham Destinations, extra holidays, right? Like mm -hmm. big, big units, big homes all across the, the United States. So it's very interesting for us to see different strategies, different spend levels on acquisition. And as I mentioned at the beginning, loyalty does not mean the same thing for everyone. But I will say that as a parting thought, mm -hmm. just to start, right? Like you you have to start somewhere. And I think Scott what Scott was mentioning, Scott and Adam were mentioning, we've done a disservice of not recognizing the, the guests and creating a, a database like best place to start. Easiest, yeah. fastest, best place to start. So yeah. Yeah. Look at your options out there. And I think you might find that Ellison, the solution that they have at Lassie might be pretty compelling. I'm actually looking forward to seeing if we, I can find a way to test it. So yeah, all good, Ellis. We didn't get through everything, but that's often the case when we have a great guest. So we thank you for your time <laughs> recording with us here today. I know we had little connection issues with Scott and Adam, so I'm wrapping up with, with us here. It would be very loyal. If you've made it this far, you must be a loyal listener, right? I think that's fair to say, Ellis. So what they need to do is go yeah. to their podcast app of choice, click five stars, and that helps us get more people to listen to awesome stuff. So appreciate you. Appreciate your time today, Ellison. We will catch you on the next episode. Everyone listening to the Arvados Fidelity. Thanks so much.